for most of the past seven years, I've been working with public schools as a consultant and a school improvement coach. And my role has been to help districts achieve student outcomes under the infamous No Child Left Behind. Um, and as part of that process, we try to come in and identify where they are, where they want to be, and help them create a process to get there. And when we do that, um, we almost always ask them to change something that they're doing. So um, when we ask them to do that, sometimes we'll do a little exercise with them uh, to kind of illustrate what that change might possibly feel like. So I typically ask them, audiences, to to just fold your arms like this. So if you want to do that, you can. And and just pay attention to, just for a second, how that feels. Okay, my guy got that. Now, look down and notice which arm's on top, which arm's on bottom. And now, intentionally, I want you to, in a minute, if it doesn't throw your brain into total disarray, switch those two. Left arm on top, right arm on top. Okay, we have a few remedial students who will need assistance. Also, again, I'm related to them. I want you to notice how that feels. Feels a little awkward, doesn't it? It's like, gosh, I can't wait till she tells me I can do it the other way again. Okay, that is what change is all about. Change feels like this. And so when I walk into districts and I ask them to do something different and to change, I'm typically not very popular. <laughs> I ask them to do things and I sometimes feel like I'm in a battle and I end up getting a little banged up and bruised. And today's Old Testament postcard character and I have that in common. So you can kind of keep that in mind as we go. Um, today we're looking at, we're continuing the series from postcards from the Old Testament, Old Testament postcards. We have been looking at characters from the Bible and learning about them and discovering how their experiences can show us how to live out a walk with God in a genuine, transparent way. So we could subtitle this series, Ordinary People, Extraordinary God, because of the way that we've observed the supernatural interwoven with the naturalness of people in ordinary day-to-day -day lives. Now, since Old Testament characters are a diverse and rich group to study, Ben has invited a variety of contemporary local characters here in Peoria to share their perspectives and on the stories of people from the Old Testament, and that's why I'm here. And since I'm the newbie, I drew the short straw, and I'm first, so there will be a couple following me. Our goals for this series overall are to be informed and to be encouraged, to be challenged and to be changed. We want to see how the people that the Bible takes the time to talk about walked with God, and we want to be encouraged then by what we discover. However, we don't want to just hear an interesting Bible story. We also want the Word of God to challenge and to change us by what we learn for it as we from it as we apply it. So, with this next postcard, we're going to look at the life of a female character, Deborah, and we're going to be richly informed, boldly encouraged, personally challenged, and ultimately changed men and women alike as we apply the lessons we learn from the story of an ordinary woman serving an extraordinary God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just so appreciate that you are with us as we walk through the changes and the challenges of our lives. This morning, I ask for your presence to be here in this room, challenge us and help us to learn and in the nursery with the kids in every area today be there and let your presence be powerful we appreciate all that you've done for us in jesus name amen
Hey, Deborah lived in Israel in the time of the judges, and her story is found mainly in Judges chapters 4 and 5. So a little background, I just never know what's going to show up, so I have to keep picking up. A little background about the setting of the story that will help explain who she is. So last week we heard the story of Joseph, who was used by God to save his people during a time of intense famine. After Joseph died, those same people were subjected to harsh conditions, treated as slaves. Eventually, God raised up a man named Moses to lead those people out of slavery in Egypt and into the land that God had prepared for them. It was Joshua who was actually the one to lead the people, though, into Canaan. And then Joshua was that nation's leader until his death. So if you want to pull out your Bible or pull it up on your iPod or iPad, let's look at Judges 2, verses 10 and 11. It'll also be on the screen, I believe. Okay, it says, After that generation died, Joshua's generation, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal, an idol. They abandoned the Lord who had brought them out of Egypt. Now, because of that abandonment, God was angry. He withdrew his protection from Israel, and soon the enemies in the surrounding areas attacked and defeated them. So verse 15 of that same chapter ends this way, quote, And the people were in great distress. So this was unfortunately the cycle of the pattern of life for God's people at that time. They fall away from God. They live an increasingly sinful life. They suffer defeat, they're oppressed by an evil enemy, and then finally they cry for help. And then they're rescued by God. So if we look at Judges 2.16, the next verse after that, then the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge over Israel, he was with that judge and rescued the people from their enemies throughout the judge's lifetime. For the Lord took pity on his people who were burdened by oppression and suffering. So God's solution to this dysfunctional cycle was to raise up a savior type leader who would exercise his influence to turn God's people back to him. Sound familiar a little bit? He did this not just because he wanted them to serve and obey, but he wanted them to experience life in this land of promise and abundance, Canaan. So what we see here, even way back at this time, is a beautiful illustration of God's love and faithfulness, even when his people were not faithful, like he does now, even when we are not faithful. It foreshadows the rescue of Jesus and the breaking in of the kingdom of God and peace and provision. So now that you have a little background, a little setting, let's look a little more closely at Deborah. Judges chapter 4, verse 4 says this, Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. So Deborah was one of these savior-type judges. The Old Testament Hebrew word for that was shofetim, or the definition is a person commissioned by God to deliver the Israelites from the oppression of their enemies, usually by war, and then to rule the people during the era of peace. So a judge or leader was someone who was raised up by God to facilitate his plan to rescue Israel from their attackers, to release them from their burden of oppression and of suffering, and then to provide ongoing leadership and guidance with the hope of preventing another one of those falling away cycles. So that's what Deborah was. She was one of those judges. She was one of those leaders that was supposed to facilitate that plan for rescue. So do you see that parallel with the the gospel story all the way back there? 
So what kind of a judge was Deborah? What did her leadership look like? We've already discovered she was a wife, so therefore female. She was a prophet. And I think it's important to realize that a woman in leadership at this time was not the norm. This was a Middle Eastern country about 3,000 years ago. So this was highly unusual, even radical. So let's compare Deborah a little bit to the other judges of that time and, and what their leadership looked like versus what her leadership looked like. So here are the other judges that preceded. In Judges 3.10, it talks about someone named Othniel. And it says, the spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he became Israel's judge, and he went to war against an evil king. And after that came someone named Ehud, and whom the Bible takes out the point, takes the time to point out was left-handed. So if you're left-handed, it's significant. Take heart. Ehud hid a double-edged dagger in his clothing and assassinated the oppressing king of that time in a graphic manner. You can read that if you want. Next came Shamgar, and he was famous for killing 600 of the enemy with an ox goad. So these were the other judges in the book of Judges. They were leaders known for being warriors and assassins, for winning wars and killing the enemy. So after Shamgar, the next one to rule was Deborah. So how was Deborah known? Judges 4, 5, we read, she would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. So Deborah was a female. She was a wife. She was a prophet. And her function was to sit in a public place, and people would go to her to get advice and help discerning what, and advice and help discerning what God's will was for a particular situation or problem. So Deborah probably spent a lot of time telling people things they really didn't want to hear and asking them to make changes. So in that, Deborah and I share a lot in common. Deborah wasn't known, though, if you note, for her ability as a warrior, as an assassin. Her leadership was exercised in a different way. Deborah was known as a prophet, And my Bible's dictionary defines a prophet as an interpreter of the times and people's hearts, one who issues divinely inspired revelations. Aaron is the first prophet person mentioned as a prophet. And interestingly, the second prophet mentioned after is Miriam, another woman. So I think that's showing us a little bit about how female leadership sometimes is exercised. No one had to decide whether or not Deborah could be a prophet. She just was one. She just did who she was. People recognized her gift, her wisdom, and her insight and leadership, and they came to her with her needs. All of those other judges were men, and Deborah showed courage that she was willing to exercise her gift despite those barriers that her gender presented. Deborah was not known for her prowess in war or her physical strength against the enemy. She was known for her wisdom. She was known for her ability to hear God and to interpret his voice for others. Pastor and author Jack Hayford provides this description of the character of Deborah. Deborah demonstrates the possibilities for any woman today who will allow the Spirit of God to fill and form her life, developing her full capacities to shape the world around her. Isn't that great? I would love that to be said of me. So it was kind of a climate that Deborah was working in. So 
Um, let's look at Judges 5, 6, and 7. It's not going to be on screen. I'll just read it to you. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors, and I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army. That was the current oppressive regime, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. And there I will give you victory over him. This is what Deborah heard during one of her routine days of just listening to God and people coming to her. She heard this message for Barak. And so she sent for him and gave him that message. And I don't have any idea who he was or why he was called. But apparently Deborah had sufficient reputation to get him to come listen to what she had to say and to convince him that those specific directions were really from God for him. So those directions contained a call to war against the current enemies. And I think it's important to note that Deborah used her influence in the realm right where she was. It was something she was already doing by allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through her. Now, she had spent probably years hearing God. Over those years, she sat under that palm tree. Because she was a woman, she was smart. She sat under a palm tree. She didn't sit out in the sun. She had spent years hearing God and sharing what she heard. She trained her ear to hear God speak to her. So same thing she was doing all that time. She was faithful in those little things, though. And so she was ready when the big thing came. Let's look at what Barak's response was. Judges 4.8, Barak told her, I will go into war, as you say, but only if you go with me. Whoops. So what's up with that? He's asking a woman to go with him to lead the battle. Very well, she replied. I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. Some of the commentaries I've read criticize Barak for this move as if he wasn't maybe manly enough to do this task himself or as if he didn't have sufficient faith to believe that God was able to give the victory to Barak. I think Barak, though, may have been one of the most shrewd and faith-filled men in the Bible because he recognized the leader in Deborah in a hostile climate and a hostile time. And he was bold enough to use her to bring that plan, to bring her into his plan regardless of her gender, regardless of the fact that he might look weak, regardless of the fact that he wouldn't receive the glory for the victory. He was willing to take her advice and follow her lead and trust that she heard from God. So even though this seemed like a very out-of-place request given the era that Deborah was living in, her response showed that she was willing to venture out of the comfort zone. Very well, she said, I will go with you. And she could have chosen to say, nope, I'm a prophet. I sit under palm trees. I give out advice. I'm a judge. I help people make important decisions and discern God's will. I don't do battles, Barack. That's your deal. You go. But she didn't. For whatever reason, she said, very well, I will go. Deborah was aware that this was an insult to insult to Barack as a man, and the prevailing opinion was women are weak and not on an equal footing with men. She knew where her place was in the social and political food chain of power, and Deborah chose to do what she did in spite of the prevailing climate about women. That was a bold and courageous choice. So how did this decision work out for Deborah? And what can we learn from it? Judges 4, 14, and 16, the rest of the story. Then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. 
So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Then Barak chased the chariots and the army, enemy army all the way to Harasheth Hagoyim, living, not living, killing all of Sisera's warriors. So often, as Ben has mentioned before, we have a tendency to clean up Bible stories. So what was it really that Deborah said yes to? What did she say very well? We will, I'll go do that. So in this passage in Judges, it mentions chariots, warriors, which would mean weapons, um, marching down mountains, panic, running, fleeing the scene, chasing and killing all. In those times, it was not automatic weaponry. It was hand-to-hand combat. After the battle, they recounted horses' hooves hammering the ground, galloping of mining steeds. Does this sound like a party you want to be in the middle of? It talks about the ancient torrent of the Kashan River sweeping the enemy away, a big flood that just carried them away. A description is found in Psalms 83 of the battle. And in this description, um, the psalmist says, Do to them, God, to another enemy. Do to them as you did to the Midianites. And as you did to Sisera and Jabin at the Kashan River, this battle we're talking about today, they were destroyed at Endor and their decaying corpses fertilized the soil. And thank you, Adam, for no slide for that. (laughs) It wasn't neat. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't pleasant. It wasn't shade-filled like her palm tree was. It was messy. It felt awkward. And it certainly wasn't what Deborah was training for underneath the palm trees. Or was it? Deborah's training for this mighty, messy battle may not have seemed sufficient. The only training she had was hearing God's voice and sharing what she heard. But she did have years of experience sitting under a palm tree, listening to people, listening to God, and bringing those two minds together. And she did that by being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what prophets were known for, and obeying whatever she heard. And this is basically what Deborah did during the battle. She listened to God and shared what she heard. She heard God and interpreted that voice into actions that Barak would take. It's the same thing she had always done, just in a very different environment, well outside of her comfort zone. And in spite of all that, Deborah didn't shrink back. She didn't say no. She said very well, I will go. She went into, she pushed into the opportunity that opened for her. It was heard of in that day that a woman would even go to battle let alone lead the charge. But she had the wisdom and the insight from God to know how to proceed. She didn't despise her gifting. She didn't show false humility. She just said, very well, I will go. So let me take a moment to share what happened to me and my family when we chose to say those very same words, very well, I will go. As some of you know, we're new to the Peoria area. We moved here about six weeks ago. Jim's parents and my parents both lived in the community we recently moved away from. Jim's dad was a physician there for many years. He was very well known. We meet people in Peoria who say they went to him for as a doctor. My dad, he still lives there. Well, at at least during the warm months, he lives there, working as an estate planner. And we enjoyed a great reputation in that community, thanks in great part to those two people. We were privileged to live in a beautiful home with space for kids to run and play and for friends to gather. Our three boys and two of our girls graduated from high school there. We were pretty entrenched in that community. We helped establish a church there. We helped launch a multi-site campus. 
And then we began to ask God to enlarge our territory. And he took us up on that. So through a series of events, God drew us here to the Vineyard Church Peoria to be a part of the church he was planting here. And he made us know for certain that he wanted us to move here. As a part of that process, we would meet with Ben and Tina and talk about our desire and our plans and whether or not God was talking to us. And Ben would consistently pray, Lord, give them the ability to hear your voice and the courage to do what they hear you say. And I have to admit, I didn't understand that prayer for courage because I had a really long list of things we needed. Uh, We needed a way to tell our family so they would understand. We needed a job. (laughs) We needed a house. We needed to sell a house. We needed a plan to transition here. We needed a way to appear less than certifiably crazy to the community around us. Um, A way to tell people we loved at church that we knew would be disappointed. And I have to also admit to thinking that if God were really in this whole mood, move, it was going to all be really smooth. But every time we would meet with Ben and Tina, Ben would say really encouraging things like, you are about to enter a time of grief and death. (laughs) Or, I know you feel really bad and think this is hard, but it's not over yet. Or, this is really hard. You're almost to the bottom now. And again, he would pray that we would have courage. And I really didn't think that courage was what we needed. I thought provision and smoothness and joy in the journey was what we needed. But the bottom line is, Ben was right. I just, I have to say this. There is this whole technical piece to this for the people at the back. And you highlight certain things that you want to be on the slides. That is not something I highlight. (laughs) Okay. Bottom line is Ben was right. We did need courage. So did Deborah as she helped Barak lead the battle against Israel's enemies. And so will you if you want to hear and obey God. So if we look at the life of this ordinary person, Deborah, following God in obedience. What are some things we can learn? What are some takeaways we can take away with us? How are you known? Deborah used her influence where she was. In the vineyard, we talk about unique spheres of influence where we work and live and play. We see those spheres as part of one life and not separated into secular and non-secular. Where are you? How has God made you? Okay, this morning I'm trying to be true to Ben's direction and framework for speaking. But I have to be who I am and not who he is. Don't you think? Wouldn't it be silly if there were two of us exactly alike? So can you trust that you, who you are, is exactly what the sphere of people and circumstances where you're placed desperately needs? They don't need Ben. They don't need me. They don't need anybody else. They need you. Because you're there. So my challenge would be to ask Jesus for the courage in those situations to just be an authentic Christ follower to the same degree everywhere and with everybody. What's your climate? Deborah was able to be as influential as she was by allowing the Holy Spirit to fill her and use her. She didn't shrink back from opportunity. 
even though it was scary, even though it was a little messy, even though it made her afraid. She didn't let society's opinion about what she could do define what she did do. So is there any chance that you've identified how you're made and what you want to do, but your contrary climate is preventing you? Have you been told that you're too young, too old, too rich, too poor, too married, too not married, you have too many kids, you don't have enough, too seasoned, too new? You get the idea. Don't let those prevailing winds dictate when and where you obey the Holy Spirit. Ask for the ability to hear and then the courage to do what you feel him saying, no matter what. How about your training? How did Deborah do all that she did? Showing wisdom and courage and eventually influencing an entire nation's destiny for good. I think it's really significant that the big thing she eventually ended up doing was an extension of the little thing God called her to do. And that she did every day. Her training for that big battle came from doing the little thing, listening. So be faithful in the little things. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Develop your relationship with Jesus. Recognize that relationship as the source of your power and ability. Be who you are, where you are. And then expect messy. Expect awkward. And ask God for courage. God called Deborah from a life of sitting beneath a palm tree and providing direction for his people into a real battle with horses and mud and muck and blood and all of those things. The passages that we read in Judges and Psalms show that it wasn't neat and tidy. It was real and it was messy. Our journey here, real and messy, not easy. For all of us, there have been times of confusion and tears. Please don't ask my family for stories. Frustrations and risk and loss. The house doesn't sell. The yard two hours away still needs to be mowed. Adult kids struggle. Grandkids are so not happy. Housing here is expensive. You miss your favorite hairstylist. You need the GPS to find the location of your daughter's away game in the new town. And whatever you need is in a box somewhere. I'm very proud of the way my family has taken courage in God and leaned on him through all this. For Deborah, for us, and for you, this is the way of life in the kingdom. Messy battles lead to certain victories as we listen and obey God. Maybe you recognize the cycle in the story of a sin-filled life, defeat and oppression in your own life and And now you would really like to find one of those savior judge people to cry out to God and to be rescued. May I encourage you today that if you haven't, Jesus is there and he is that savior judge. He is that rescuer for you. So whatever and however this story resonates with you, may I just encourage you to say yes to whatever it is, even if it's messy, even if it feels awkward. And as Pastor Jack Hayford said of Deborah, may it really also be said of you that your life, if I could put your name in there, I would, that your life demonstrates the possibilities for anyone today who will allow the Spirit of God to fill and form him or her 
and developing their full capacities to shape the world around you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege of being here this morning. And I ask you to sow the seeds of this word deep into all of our hearts. We've been challenged. We've been encouraged. May we be changed to be more like you as a result of thinking and pondering and as a result of the Holy Spirit's working in your life. Just thank you that even as we take the offering this morning, that it will be an expression of our thankfulness and gratefulness to you, Lord. We give as we have received freely, and we thank you for your rescue and deliverance from the oppression that we have faced in our lives. And we vow to say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.